intelligence and medicine we're going to learn more about being a first year i have a special guest on the line his name is darian right my man's from cornell university phd well first year he's also getting his phd uh in computer science from cornell obviously like i said before and today we're gonna have a great show uh let's get it Finna slide down and put a hole in his crib. Yeah, I got those shots like a regular. No, bitch, you not bad. You not up on my schedule. I put the stars on roof to change the setting. No, you niggas lame me, so I'm unoriginal. I'm chilling, no. When the moving, you gotta be kidding, ho. I'm a savage, I can't fuck with Diddy hoes. Said I love her, but nigga, not really, though. Okay, like, boom. What's your story? Yeah, so that's a pretty interesting question. So. You know, when I was graduating from high school, I was convinced that I was going to the Marines. But my father suggested otherwise, and he gave me a list of schools. And amongst those schools, Morehouse College stood out to me. So when I got accepted, that was when I first understood what an HBCU was. Even though I had grew up in Atlanta, I had no idea what Morehouse College was. So I get to Morehouse College my freshman year, and my intended major was but, physics. But, but before you go into that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, were you like a— a star student or anything like that before you applied? Like, oh. did you already have like these <laughs> gifts or of whatever you studied? Cause you studied computer science. You had math gifts yeah. as a little kid. Yeah. So as a little kid, the most, I, I used to compete in math competitions, but I wasn't, I wasn't one of those kids that always prepared for it. Like my father and my mother just realized I was gifted in mathematics. And then at that point in time, I just thought it was another opportunity to solve some problems. But I stopped doing that when I got to high school. But other than that, I was always a tutor in math and science. So I was pretty decent in my studies, but I never studied too often. And in fact, last night I was having a conversation with my grandmother and I told her I was struggling this semester. And she said, um, I always think back to that time in high school when a professor or a teacher pulled me to the side and said, look what grade he got on this exam. And he didn't even study for it. Just imagine how much smarter he can be if he prepared himself. So back in high school, I didn't really apply myself in the way that I should have, but I had always had some form of a gift in mathematics and science. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you came in like ten toes down, cowl to oh, ready no. for physics or what? What happened? No, I came in, came in with <laughs> remedial English. I didn't take my SAT seriously, and I was placed in calculus one. And at the time, I had taken pre-calc in high school, but nothing further than that. So when I got in, my residential advisor actually said that, or residential director said that whoever gets a 4.0 in this hall, I'm going to get them the Legend Blue Legend Blue Retro 11s. So oh. I never had a, real talk, I never had a pair of nice Jordans growing up. So that stood out to me, especially being in Atlanta where fashion and culture is very, very popular. I figured, all right, I need to work hard to get this 4.0. And then as I got the 4.0, 
turns out, 11 other people in my hall got a 4.02, and he wasn't about to drop $2,000. <laughs> he was right. about to dish out Jordans <laughs> to everybody, huh? Exactly. <laughs> so I ended up getting a cardigan. But that's essentially... <laughs> no, that's, a good, that's a good substitute. If you're going yeah, into academia, you're going to need a nice little cardigan to keep yourself warm. It was. But turns out that I, I realized that I had the capacity to study and learn information fairly well, even though my motivation was materialistic. But at that point, I realized that, yo, this computer science stuff is actually not too bad, and I just stuck with it. Mm. So you did you come in like knowing you wanted to do computer science? Did you come in knowing what you wanted to go to graduate school? Or? Well, I didn't even know Google was maintained by software engineers. I didn't even know what computer science was before I got to school. That's oh. why I was so fascinated fascinated about it when I oh, took so the you, introduction. You course. started you started coding like in freshman year when you went to college. That's the first time yeah. you ever touched the keyboard on a code scale. Yes, sir. First time ever. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's what's up. So it's safe to say you use your talent your talents uh, that you've always innately had to uh, get to the point where you are now. Yeah, so like starting off, it was definitely very difficult, but I was a disciplined individual. So I just, you know, kept my head down and kept working towards it until I figured it out. Mm. Yeah, that's one thing I will say about you, Darren, that I've always, um, I've always uh, admired that you, no matter what it is, if you want to learn something um, and you have no idea of how the concept of what it takes to get to the level that you either see somebody on or that you envision in yourself, you always like push yourself to get to that next level. And so I think that's like a super important key if you are going to end up becoming a, a independent scientist or just I think that's a skill that everyone should have. Um, it, no matter like who you are, if you're interested in graduate school, or if you're just, um, I don't know, just working to maintain, you know what I'm saying? You have to yeah. be able to approach problems um, and deduce logical uh, ways of resolving that problem, issue or whatever. Who do you look to when uh, you need motivation, when you encounter hardships in graduate school? Because, you know, you are investigating novel things that no one else has thought about before and so um if you're kind of the brain agent of this of a project or somebody gave you a project you know and it's not working out like how do you how do you really mm -hmm. deal with that so in regards to who i look for for motivation i kind of have like two different categories fictional and non-fictional so for the non-fictional people my father and my grandmother my father, because he studied STEM and he understands the level of difficulty, but he went into the business arena. And my grandmother, every time I'm speaking to her and I'm letting her know I'm having a hard time, my grandmother from the South, she's from the country. <laughs> she didn't, she, 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 is, like, she has no concept. <laughs> yeah, she has no concept of what computer science is. But every time I talk to her and say I'm struggling, she's like, don't worry about it. You're a smart boy. I know you'll figure it out. So that level of simplicity sometimes is actually required because you don't have to go into detail about what you do, but you have somebody just telling you, like, I don't care what it is. You're smart. You'll figure it out. Mm. But from the fictional standpoint, my top two would have to be Bruce Banner from Endgame specifically, and I won't spoil it. I have not seen it. Movie. Please do not spoil it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Please do not spoil it. And billionaire, billionaire philanthropist playboy Tony Stark. <laughs> So, I knew you were going to say Tony Stark. <laughs> Everybody wants to be Tony Stark. Yeah. 
oh my goodness. I don't even have to explain that one. But with Bruce Banner, um, the reason I like him is because I think about him from a um a smart ass like he's very, very intelligent, but then he get he has these moments where he's the Hulk and he's very strong. Mm. So something that I get into in my free time is actually lifting weights and exercising. And I like to break that stereotype that people have of computer scientists being, you know, lanky and awkward and not lean. And so not I look black. to Bruce Banner as a ex- yeah, exactly that too, and not black. And I look to Bruce Banner as one of my forms of motivation. Mm. So it's like, you know, you, when do you feel that Hulk mode though? Is it like when you're coding or is it when you're at the gym? Oh, that's real. Dang, that's real. Hold on. So it's probably gonna have to be. Of course, at the gym, but it also has to be moments where I don't perform the way that I should yeah, perform. And the I'm Hulk be going through phases, you're right. So. Yeah, and then I just turn up, and I'm like, you know what, Darian? You know this is unacceptable. It's almost like the Hulk is beating up myself. <laughs> like the inner Hulk comes out, and he just starts hitting yeah. himself. <laughs> I feel it, bro. You just beat yourself up. But then, you know, you got right. people in your corner who are like, come on, Hulk, you, you need to get mad. Come on, bro. Stop being a little, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, de- I definitely yeah. resonate with that. Uh, since this is a little off topic, but since we're we're talking about superheroes, I've been asking a lot of people this question um, pretty often lately. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Ooh. You know, the the nerd in me is about to come out, but if I had any superpower, it would be the ability to read any form of text and understand what it's trying to convey. Mm, okay. Why? Why? Because yeah. I'm going to keep it a buck. Sometimes when I'm looking at probability and statistics <laughs> from machine learning... <laughs> 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 I'm thinking, I'm thinking like Dead Sea Scrolls or like Egyptian hieroglyphics. No, okay. No. Nah, right. I'm talking about <laughs> Sorry, set theory, mathematics, yeah, stuff like that. I'm looking at the probability, and I'm like, I don't understand what they're trying to say. <laughs> that's funny. Wow, I, that's a that's yeah. a pretty rare superhero uh, or superpower answer. I haven't heard that one before. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, if I had to choose a superpower. You know, the biochemist in me uh, would want to be uh, able to synthesize any chemical in my body and be able to discharge it uh, at with any part of my body. So, you know, Whoa. yeah, I would want to be able to make gold <laughs> in my stomach and, you know, go to the bathroom real quick, then go to the store, you know, sell it, whatever, something like that. Instead of just, you know, spitting the gold out, you got to go to the bathroom. Well, I mean, it's going gonna to be a large piece of gold. I don't want to, like, throw it up, you know. That's that's kind of an <laughs> uh. But, you know, that's my superpower. It's not the best, but, hey, it works. But to get back on topic, I'm going I'm to shift the gear. Um, so why are you getting a PhD? <clears throat> yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, uh, I love asking questions but i wasn't satisfied with cookie cutter knowledge in the discipline that intrigues me the most and i'm still very fascinated can, by can how you define real quick what cookie cutter knowledge is oh yeah 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 so to, to give an analogy cookie cutter knowledge is like somebody giving you the tools to accomplish some task but you don't quite understand how those tools are built so in computer science or software engineering a lot of times there are these libraries that can do a lot of the grunt work for us, which is great, 
but oftentimes novice programmers don't understand what's actually going on behind the mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah. So I wasn't satisfied with that in, in, in the sense that I didn't want to graduate with a degree in computer science, go work as a software engineer. And then when I was ready to start applying machine learning principles, I, w- I would just always go to some library and call some method and then make some inference on some mm. new data. That, that's real. So that's one of the primary reasons that I'm pursuing a PhD. And I'm still fascinated by how a series of ones and zeros can represent anything. Like it's, it's not entirely absurd when you think about it, but when you look at computer architecture, especially that of the von Neumann architecture, you can look that up in your free time. I don't want to go too in depth mm-hmm. into that. But the concept of a stored program, right? We have these machines. We cut them on. We have a lot of operations on them. But on the background, it's just hardware sending high and low signals across many, many circuits. Yeah. But somehow we found a way to convert that into meaningful information. So that, that, that just is, is so crazy for me to just conceptualize. Um, so what are your goals after you get a PhD? What do you want to learn uh, when you grow up, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm still a child at heart, trust me. Um, you still be making child moves? It's like big facts. I mean, sometimes I know I'm not supposed to be eating ice cream because I'm lactose intolerant, but I'm like, it just tastes so good. <laughs> I'll worry about yeah. it later. That's very childish yeah, sure. of me, but... It's like I'm on a seesaw right now that walks back and forth between industry and academia. But ultimately, I think an ideal scenario would somehow involve some form of entrepreneurship. But I'm still highly unsure, but I would love to stay in my discipline. Even if I was well-funded and I no longer had to do the work that I'm currently doing, my current thinking is that I would still love to continue to do work in the area of study that I'm in. Mm. So what, what does that consist of? So I'm still trying to figure that out exactly, but some form of a combination of software and hardware engineering with applications of machine learning to real-world problems. So I'm not quite satisfied with just, quite frankly, I, I hate to use this this term, but sitting behind a computer all day, this phrase, because that's what people typically think of software engineers. I want to be somebody who builds software for hardware and then use this hardware to build systems, sensing systems, so we can make some form of a reasonable decision about some scenario that's observed. Hmm. Right? It's, it's, I know I probably use a lot of vague terms, but to give you a quick example, is you can have some form of a medical device, right? Let's say, and I'm not too well versed on this field, but let's say you have a medical device that you use to monitor somebody's blood pressure, right? I would love to develop a medical device that can be used to monitor somebody's blood pressure, but then also create the software that makes insightful, insight, insightful inferences about this patient's information. Okay, so why do you think you want to do that? What, where, how did that dawn upon you? Um, so that's, that's a particular example, but I've been getting, since I spent a lot of time in the gym and worrying about personal health, a lot of people in my family have been afflicted by diseases that I think they could have avoided if they were, excuse me, if they were to have spent a little bit more time exercising and eating properly. And I don't, doctors are great, but I don't think that our first solution should always be medicine, right? But if it gets to the point where somebody needs medicine in order to help them with their sy- symptoms or whatever particular ailment that they have, 
I would love to be on the side that says, given somebody's, let's say, genetic makeup, we can come up with some form of personalized medicine for them in particular in order to optimally help them. Because growing up, I would always, there would be times I would get sick. I go to the doctor and they just give me antibiotics. And I'm always asking, like, I would literally ask this, what is this for? Why are you giving me this? I had this last time. Why am I getting the same thing? And I just didn't quite understand why antibiotics was just such a general thing to give out. Right? So I'm really interested in like personalized healthcare and personalized medicine. Can you see me fix your lenses? Independent nigga on the mission. I ain't listen when they tell me different. Now I'm out of state, I'm out of shape. Feed up, chill, and grillin' by the lake. On the line with juices, magic cake. Flat with niggas on the paper chase. Running with me, got a hundred with me. Henny sipping, any with the shit. Take your pick, I switch my shit. Copy me, I switch my shit. Day in the life of Darren. What does it look like? Cool, cool, cool. So, um... A good day for me, and sometimes I fall out of routine, but a good day for me is I wake up at 7 a.m., and it doesn't take me too long to get ready. And some days I don't wake up at 7 a.m., but wake up at 7 a.m., brush my teeth, moisturize my hair, wash my face, put my clothes on, put on deodorant. All of that is done by 7.20, and I go walk to the bus stop, catch the 7.30 bus. So is this, I get up is and I'm this like, like super restrictive? That it, like it's Is it every day for you like this? Even on Saturday, Sunday. So I want I want to get it to Saturday and Sunday, but it's just hard to do it on Saturday and Sunday. Like yesterday, I woke up. I said on Saturdays and Sundays, I get up at eight. I got up at eight, but then I was just like, you know what? I don't have anything big to do for today, so I'm just gonna go back to sleep. But this is typically for like a Monday through Friday type of workflow. Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So seven twenty, leave the house, get to the bus, catch the seven thirty bus, and I'm on campus by seven forty five. And I begin my morning workout at 8 a.m. So I give myself about two hours to have my morning workout, shower, and then prepare myself for the day. So by about 10 a.m., I like to start my work day. And that just typically consists of reading whatever research paper that I'm required to read or working on whatever coursework that I'm taking or whatever research project that I'm looking to explore. And then by 1 o'clock p.m., no, by about noon, I like to go eat lunch. And then I give myself about an hour to eat lunch. But when I'm eating lunch, I typically have my Kindle in my hand and I just read one of my books. So by about 1 p.m., I get back to my work day and I finish up PhD-related work by 6 p.m. So I can eat dinner by 7 p.m. So finish up work by 6, go eat dinner, and done by 7. And then after I'm done eating, I like to finish reading some form of an academic paper or my book by 8 p.m. Right? I just love to read and I like to read in a lot of reading every day. And then at that point, I like to finish my leisure reading if I feel like reading some more by 9 p.m. And then from about 9 p.m. to midnight, I have this thing which I call independent study. So independent study includes Netflix, <laughs> fun activities. <laughs> I'm not going to play. Netflix. Yeah, you got to have that in there because if you don't have that in there, you're going right. to go crazy. You're going to go crazy. Exactly. So, like, my independent study can range from anything, like entertainment or literally just reading a new article on something that I found interesting or playing Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. I, f- yep. I feel like there's a lot of tournaments at Cornell's campus. Yeah, I just won one recently, and I'm proud <laughs> of that. So, how did you end up uh, selecting Cornell? Yeah, so my senior year, a friend of mine who actually studied computer science at Morehouse, 
an ECE at Cornell. He came back to the department to speak, and I told him about my desire to learn more about hardware, and he told me that he did his ECE degree at Cornell, which is electrical and computer engineering, his master's. And at that point, he gave me his phone number, and we would hang out, and he teach me more about some of the hardware basics and programming things like an Arduino board and a Raspberry Pi to perform basic actions like, let's say, lighting up an LED, mm -hmm. right? And he just taught me the basics. And as I learned more, it sparked the interest in this university because he was such a heavy voucher for that university. And him being a Morehouse man, it kind of stood out to me that, hey, he went to another university and he's vouching for it. So at that point, Cornell was on my B-list of schools, but then after that, it went up to my A-list of mm -hmm. schools. So always wanting to get into electrical and computer engineering, Cornell is a top school for such, and I found out that with their PhD program, they have what is called a minor. So you have to minor in two different fields of study outside of your current field, right? So that stood out to me. I'm like, I can go get my area of, area of focus in machine learning, but then I can also take, take some time to study electrical and computer engineering in my free time. Hmm. And I love that's that. Cool. So that stood out so to me. So is there a specific name to your program? Like, what if listeners want to know? Yeah, so it's, it's it's literally just called a PhD in computer science in the School of Engineering, right? And then they have a list of requirements. You can Google this, PhD Cornell CS requirements. And then you can look at the required courses that you're required to take, but then you also have to satisfy a minor, which is beautiful. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, cool. So on that, how, how, many, how many years do you think this whole thing is going to take you? So they say on average is about five and a half, but I'm thinking mine um, will be about six or seven, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah. Um, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to take, I don't want to take my time in the sense that I, I you know, I want it to take forever, but I want to do it right. Cause you only get one opportunity mm -hmm. or, you know, if you want to do two PhDs, go ahead and <laughs> be my guest, but you only get one opportunity to do your PhD right. That's true. true. Yeah, I'm just trying to find a way Gotta make enough so I can buy the thing These niggas so lame, I don't know why they hate Grinding in the winter, I don't hibernate Keep that fire with me, hey, hey. Going big, I ain't going at all Yeah, yeah, I know I was destined to ball Yeah, I gotta find a way Gotta make enough so I can buy the thing, uh, yeah I'm too focused, shutting hoes down. Unless that girl look like Rihanna, I can't slow down. Ready for whatever, feel the pain inside my flow now. A coward die a thousand death, that ain't the way I'm going out. You ain't getting money, nigga, you just in the way. Boy, I got a D for every bump on your face. I made the killing notes, I'm be lent. They be sleeping on me like they fucking with the sentiment. I got mouths to feed, that's why I'm trying to see a fortune. Can't be worried about what haters say, that's not important. I want that Ferrari, baby, I can't Slow my horses in and not the trap. Moving flowers like a florist. Remember all the hungry nights. Some nights ain't even half lights. Sugar, water, mayo sandwiches. That's for my appetite. Mama asked me, was I selling drugs? And I told her lies. Long as I got hustler ambition, I'm gonna be alright. I'm just trying to find a way. Gotta make enough so I can buy Are there any students that are kind of like you at Cornell in your program or outside of your program? Like who do you who do you really go to? So there, there are students like me in regards to being, you know, nerdy, but I'm not the typical nerd. Okay. But That's true. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but if you're from the area, 
I was born in Decatur and raised in Lithonia, but for people who aren't from Decatur, <laughs> you gotta come correct because oh, Atlanta's yeah. not really Atlanta. <laughs> Decatur, <laughs> right. not Atlanta. You know, folks be like, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, but I was born and raised yeah, in Augusta, Fayetteville. Right? You know. <laughs> but yeah, many people who attend school here are from the area, so I meet a lot of people from Brooklyn, Queens. And a lot of times my accent stands out and people aren't used to Southern hospitality. I walk around my department. I speak to people and it's taken some people to get used to that, but I don't stop. I just continue to speak to people when I see them in the department. So in regards to people being, or are there students like me? Yes and no. But also I like to think of myself as a unique individual because all of us are ultimately, mm-hmm. but sometimes people can perform, can behave in ways that suggests otherwise. I think that's... But, yeah, I don't like to... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, go, oh, okay. Yeah, I was just saying, I don't like to conform to some of the norms that people exhibit. Like, I'm, I'm very comfortable going into different settings and just being completely who I am. And if somebody feels uncomfortable talking to me, which I had the other day an experience with, it's just like, maybe I don't need to communicate with that person anymore. Maybe they need to figure something else out about themselves, but I'm not going to change how I communicate in order to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, I think that's like a super important key if you're thinking about going into graduate school is like you have to be comfortable being like by yourself. Uh, and I say that because like 99% of this is your project is driven by you. 99% of the thought and what you do and how you interact with people is basically like it's all on you. You know, people aren't going to look for you uh, like, oh, did you do this? Did you do this? You know what I'm saying? Or like, did you, like, you know, they're not going to give you direction all the mm-hmm. time. And so I think that right. you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and be comfortable with people um, asking you questions you don't know the answer to, you know, and being able to defend yourself, but also being open to criticism. And I think that's 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 super important if you want to, you know, get to this level and stay at this level you know it, it does sound scary at first i was scared but you kind of have to just kind of like football if you play football you kind of just have to like go into their expected contact <laughs> that's a great analogy yeah. that's a solid analogy because in high school i quit football because yeah of that. i hated football it was the worst shit that's crazy. The worst shit. i got beat up all the time not beat well figuratively beat up on the field now yeah. it's a different story <laughs> so uh what do you do outside of research that keeps you sane i work out at least five days a week and if i'm having a really really good week and i'm in my attic mode i work out seven days a week which is this past week it's a problem but um <laughs> yeah because there's, there's not mode. quite yeah a lot of things yeah i'm trying to get like bruce Banner. <laughs> there's not a lot of things to do up here relative to atlanta so i've been reading quite a lot but then i get to a point where i can only read so much and then i want to do something that gets me a little bit more active so i spend a lot of time in the gym outside of that um i'm a frequent reader like i just said but the things that i like to read are like business related self-help philosophy and science books and recently i've gotten intrigued by this book i think it's in the category of domestic fiction it was one of oprah oprah's book club club book excuse me oprah's book club books it's called an american marriage by tiari jones she's a spelman alumni so i've been loving this book on top of the fact that she went to spelman and the main people in the book are 
Morehouse is filming <laughs> Is it like, kind of like the, the but yeah. what's it called? Think Like a Man sort of vibe? I'm not even going to lie. I don't even know what Think Like a Man's vibe is, <laughs> but it's a... Have you seen the movie? It's, you know the vibe. Have I haven't seen, seen the, the movie? movie. Oh, you haven't? Okay. I haven't. Okay, that's fine. But it's a very, it's a very, very interesting story in that it starts off with these two married couples having a dispute over some things that the husband is doing wrong, and he somehow gets convicted of rape that he did not do, and he goes to prison, and his wife is struggling trying to maintain their relationship because he got sentenced to 12 years. But over time, she ends up, yeah, but catch this. Over time, she ends up getting together with her childhood friend, which is his Morehouse oh, brother. Oh, my Lord. This can't be a true story. Yes. Well, I can believe it being a true out. story, actually. That's some spelling Morehouse it, shit right there. That's some, it, it, exactly. That's <laughs> why it's so interesting. I'm like, dang, this is something that actually happens. <laughs> you trying to find but it yeah, based it's on crazy. a true story in the book, huh? I'm trying to tell you. And then he ends up getting out early five years, and everything is just going to hell. So I, the crazy thing is I got the book yesterday. And this is how much time I just have to read. I got the book yesterday. It's about 320 pages long, and I'm on page 200. Oh, wow. I literally, like, last night I just sat down and read for three hours just because I said, I'm not going out tonight. I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll mm. read. Those nights so, are the best nights. Then, That's what's up. Yep. And the final other thing that I do is, like I said before, I play Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So if you want to see me in that, <laughs> go ahead and add me. My tag, tag will be in the description. <laughs> Below. My tag will be in the description. Add me on Smash Bros and get All this right. work. Yeah, Trust me. Folks. Adam, get that ass beat. <laughs> So the main topic of our uh, podcast show today is artificial intelligence and its intersection with medicine. So we thought this this was a good overlapping topic that we can discuss. I'm sure many of you guys know what artificial intelligence is. It's at the forefront of many enterprises now, but essentially, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Darren, if you have a different uh, definition. My understanding of this mm-hmm. AI is that... <clears throat> It's a way to teach a computer how to make decisions um, on a training sort of data set, right? So that it can go forth and do these same type of operations with an ultimate goal, uh, you know, to be applicable to different sectors of whatever business, law, medicine in this case, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that's what I understand AI to be. And obviously, you know, there's, tons and thousands of applications out now since we're in this sort of data-driven age, you know what I'm saying? And Yeah, so actually, what you described would be better termed as machine learning. Okay. But machine learning is actually a subset of artificial intelligence. And you can think of artificial intelligence as being a science or a, a, a field of science and engineering concerned with the computational understanding of what is commonly called intelligent behavior, right? So oftentimes, it's, it's actually a very challenging problem. We can't teach these systems how to behave, quote-unquote, like humans, but for a particular task, we can give them a lot of information about some particular task and say, if you do this right here in particular, this is what the outcome will be. Right. And you give that algorithm enough information about that, 
it can end up coming up with its own way of making predictions about things from a similar distribution in the future. But it's very, very, it's very, very smart and stupid at the same time, right? Because it's trained to do one particular task extremely well, but it's not generalizable to other tasks at the moment. But people are working on this, which I have concerns about. But yeah. so, what do you, th- what do you think? It's happening right now in AI that's like kind of holding it back from being um, so integratable as it should be. I'm still a novice in the area, but I can share what I've come across thus far and what I think about it. But I believe that we are trying to model AI after biological systems, right? So if you look at machine learning, a subset of artificial intelligence, and there's talk about these things known as artificial neural networks, we're literally trying to create what it says it is, an artificial neural network. But I believe that, and of course, if we had a neuroscientist on the podcast, that would be great. But I believe that we don't quite understand fully how the brain processes information, but we can make attempts at how the brain processes information with these things that we call artificial neural networks. And I won't go into details about that, but it's a way in which we come up with some form of an algorithm, a model that gets information and learns how to make a prediction on something in the future from a similar distribution. And when I say a similar distribution, what that means is if you're looking at somebody coming from the state of Georgia and you realize that all these people have a particular accent, it doesn't make sense to train a model to figure out somebody's particular city within the state of Georgia based on their accent. If you say, I trained it on this state, but then I go and pick somebody from Texas, right? Two different distributions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but, um, that'd be a I really think one of the things that, cool though, like shit, that'd be really cool. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm <laughs> just talking off the top, top of my head based right. on how somebody talks. Right. We're at oh, that this level, level, 87%, right, 87% likely to be from um, um, Decatur, Georgia. Let the record it's show. It's not Atlanta, Atlanta, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> somebody talking, I'm, I'm from Atlanta. Um, but my model says yeah, you're from, exactly. um, California. But anyway, but, um, yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that's that's holding the discipline back. And plus, it's, it's very very challenging to come up with ways to represent knowledge, which is an area of artificial intelligence, knowledge representation. Mm-hmm. I see artificial intelligence overlapping with medicine, and it's already been overlapping with medicine. Um, but I think it's going to overlap with medicine to an even higher degree. Um, what I can foresee in the future is, you know, actual robots making diagnoses and then, you know, saying, okay, you're going to need this type of treatment. You're going to need that type of treatment. You're not even going to probably see a doctor, you know what I'm saying, in about 30 years. Um, Or somebody's going to create an interface where you can put in your symptoms. Your computer is going to pop up with like a fingerprint, a finger prick, you know, you put a blood sample in there and it's going to, you know, tell you what your disparity, your health disparity is. I think it's going to be like that mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> integratable. And I think the benefit of this integration is going to be, like you said, um, or like you're, you're interested in, um, it's going to be personalized care. It's going to be very efficient and effective. So it's not going to, you're not going to have to drive to the doctor you know, anymore. And it's also 
going to be pervasive. It's going to be there for everyone instead of, you know, this sort of Medicare, Medicaid hoops that you have to jump through. Hmm. I hope it doesn't get to that point, to be honest. And wh- wh- where I'm coming from is... That's a I job right we got into the show. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons that I'm studying this discipline because I'm so afraid of it, right? And I'd rather be on the side where I have the time and the opportunity to understand what's going on within the discipline and figure out ways of mitigating those problems versus studying something different and then I'm just impacted by these things that people have been working on. So it's 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 it's, it's a interesting dynamic, but. Over winter break, I got involved with a really, really good show called Good Doctor. And I think that, checking out if you have the time, I think that what we need to do with artificial intelligence in medicine is keep the human in the loop, but then use these machines and these algorithms as a way of enhancing the job of the doctor or enhancing their predictions or their their results whenever they're trying to analyze some data. So you can think of medical imaging, right? Medical imaging can be, for me at least, as somebody who doesn't even understand anything about medical imaging, when I look at a medical image, I don't understand what is going on. Well, that's because right? you haven't been trained. But, but yeah, go ahead. That, that too. But even in something that, let's say I have been trained in, right? There is no way that I can process large amounts of data and then make some type of smart decision on what I'm currently looking at. Computers are really, really great at that, but I don't think they're good enough at being creative quite yet. Right? And I think that some of the solutions that doctors come to are based on their experiences, their past experiences. And how do you teach a computer to say, I don't, I don't quite, this is a hypothetical question. Somebody may know the answer, and if you do, please contact me because I would love to have a discussion about this. <laughs> But how do you teach a computer to make a decision about something that it's looking at, but then say, oh, remember that time you did this in particular and you got this particular result? Well, what if you take that result and put a twist on it and apply it in this manner? I think coming up with complex rule sets for something like that is going to be challenging for computers to do, which humans are good at. Right. Um, so I'm going to say a couple of things uh, in response. Mm-hmm. Um so you mentioned that, you know, doctors deal with patients through their experience, exper- experiences and what they encounter patient-to-patient, uh, patient, right? And mm-hmm. that data is out there. That data is open to anybody and anyone, you know what I'm saying? And like you said, a form of artificial intelligence is machine learning. And <clears throat> what if we were to take that data... And well, people have taken the data and begin to devise these complex systems. Like, for example, there's a, uh, I don't remember the researcher's name. I can pull it up in a second here. But essentially what he did was he took open source data, Mm -hmm. created images from this data, or the data was already there. The images were already there, rather. And he taught a computer how to recognize Um, the same images that a doctor would, uh, like, look at. You know what I'm saying? And they found that 80% of the time, the computer was correct in its diagnosis and 
or not his diagnosis. It was correct in identifying if there was a, a breast cancer, like, onset, you know. Um, but compared to actual doctors, and it was about 60 doctors in this study, right, they did not perform as well as this computer rise program did. So how can you say that, you know, when the data is right there, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I like to think of the problem as an equation with several variables and a machine to a certain extent, if given enough information is going to outperform a human on a particular task. And those doctors may not have had the same exposure to the exact same data set of information that the machine had. So the machine in that sense will make better predictions. But when I talk about the machine not being better, but those are the experiences that the doctors had though. That's their data set. But collectively, all of the doctors have different experiences, but that machine could collectively have all of those doctors' experiences stored in memory. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's true. Right. So in that in that regard, it's like, okay, of course, or not of course, like it's it's expected that the machine will perform better. But what about scenarios where you've trained a model to predict whether or not somebody has Ooh, now that I think about this. Maybe I'm extrapolating too far, but I was going to say, what if you have a machine that's supposed to be dealing with a patient who has, let's say, um, leukemia, but then as they're dealing with the patient, this patient somehow just has a spike in blood pressure or, or just starts to have a heart attack. The machine hasn't been programmed to take those variables into account. Right? So I think having a doctor in a machine in the loop would increase the efficiency of our healthcare system in that regard, instead of just having the machine itself. Okay, that's yeah. that's the standpoint that I was looking at. It true, from. true. I I can see your point there. That's that's a valid point in my in my eyes. Um, what's the what's the benefit of that though for society? Do you think, or not the benefit, but bioethically, like what is the level of integration that we can have? You know, that's interesting because. When it gets to the point where people start thinking machines are making decisions, they start getting uncomfortable, but they'll let machines do other things that lead to decisions for them, right? Like medical imaging. Nobody's really going to say, oh, no, I don't want that machine to take pictures of me. <laughs> like, oh, cool, yeah, let the machine yeah. take pictures of me so the doctor can make some type of true, decision true, true. based on what the machine took a picture of. But we don't question whether or not the machine took the imaging correctly. We just accept it at face value. But when it comes to making decisions about somebody's, you know, health or their, 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 let's just say their life outcome, then we get a little bit weary, even if the machine does perform better than doctors on average. That's an interesting question. I think that bioethically, it's going to be highly debated once, if, you know, Mm -hmm. if we get to this level that we're operating under this, under right now, um, I think it's going to be highly debated because, like, what if, for example, uh, I'll just think of an example right now. Michael Jackson, you know, a doctor, mm-hmm. got many experiences. I don't know the details of, like, the whole case or whatever, but basically right. the gist of it, what I got was that his doctor prescribed something for him that he was not supposed to be on. And and it was closely linked to the reason why he died. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think having, <clears throat> like, you, you could tell a person to take this drug to 
still give them the right tools, you know, to be successful. But if they don't end up using the tools that you gave them, then what is the purpose? You know what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, at a certain level, we're going to start to shift of like our thought process from, you know, let me help this person to this is what we're going to do. It's going to be more like controlling, I think. Um, Right. Because, you know, people are making nano robots, you know, right now, you know, literally Mm -hmm. like program things in solution to be injected into people's bodies, into my, they've done like mice studies on this. Right. And essentially like to your point, you were saying, you know, um, like people, what were you saying? Fuck. I just, it just escaped me. (laughs) (laughs) You were saying, uh, (laughs) you were saying, you know, they want the doctor to, you know, look at the images from this machine, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Mm -hmm. what if the doctor made the program to be like a certain way, you know what I'm saying? So that they make the same decisions that they would make, you know? What then? Oh, that's yeah, that's a really, really interesting question when you start talking about ethics or the bioethics of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's more supervised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. Right? It's, it becomes more supervised, but then it also introduces the problem of bias. Yeah, true, right? True. So, a, sim- a similar problem that I was thinking about for autonomous vehicles, and I just, just to get off tangent for, for a quick second, people complain that. And excuse me for sounding whatever type of way I'm about to sound, but if an autonomous vehicle were to, let's say, just here's a hypothetical scenario, were to say in somebody's life once every 10 years, but then if we were to replace that with a human driver who ended somebody's life once every single year, then if you make a comparison between the two without looking at a whole bunch of other variables, the autonomous vehicle performs better than the human by a factor of 10. Yeah. But as soon as it's an autonomous vehicle, people start getting extremely scared and saying, we don't need to have these on the road. But nobody ever says, well, we don't need to have humans on the road anymore. Yeah. So these are very, very interesting questions because ultimately within this space, you're going to have some error. Like it's, it's inevitable. it's, it's inevitable. It's theoretically inevitable that you're going to have some error. These are good questions. I like this. Yeah. So what is what is your what is your thought about um, you? Probably, I don't know if you know about this, um, but what is your uh, outlook on how people are using synthetic biology to understand their uh, biological architecture? I think, and, and, and since I'm not well-versed on it, I think that's a, a pretty interesting pursuit because one of the things that I like to think about when I was telling you about personalized medicine is what if we can figure out, and maybe they're doing this within that area of study, but if you can figure out more about a particular person, when you, I can't remember the exact reference you made earlier, but if you can figure out more about a particular person by way of synthetic biology or blood samples or, you know, looking at some form of, and you can tell how ignorant I am on the topic by the things that I'm saying, or looking at their genetic makeup, then you can start using systems that take all of these variables into account and then let them know what type of medicine should be administered, right? Mm -hmm. So like with Michael Jackson, 
let's say we have some type of synthetic biological system that could make some type of inference on what would happen if Michael Jackson were to be given this particular drug based on his genetic makeup and whatever the system told us about him. Then the doctor could say, hmm, maybe I shouldn't give this to him. Right? <laughs> Hopefully right? it says that. Some doctors are too too proud and just say, no, yeah. fuck that. I'm giving this this drug because they're paying me X amount of dollars to promote their drug. You know what I'm saying? But that's not their yeah. there. Yeah, so I think I, I would have to do a little bit more research into that synthetic biology space, but the whole biomedical area just seems extremely fascinating to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's very fascinating. It, it's super dynamic. Um, and I say that because, you know, this year I've, I've really had the, uh, the fortune of being able to encounter a lot of different biological problems um, and also hear a lot of scientists who are doing this cutting-edge research. Um, I got to hear them speak. And so uh, one thing that they didn't mention, however, um, is the business behind human genomics. Um, and so basically human genomics, if you don't know, it's, it's how people look at others' genetics and try to essentially, like, you know, like 23andMe, you know, things right. that infer someone's ancestry from a spit swab or a DNA sample, you know, whatever DNA sample it comes from. And so this business is essentially booming. It's projected to gross a, in 2022, uh, $24 billion. This is going to be a $24 billion industry, right? And if you think, you know, uh, technology is o already overlapping with uh, medicine, you're right, but it's going to be even more concentrated. That's why I said earlier it's going to be even more concentrated. And so yeah. essentially what I'm trying to say is that uh, the way that we're attacking problems in the biological world is, I would say it's pretty stratified. And I say that because there are so many sectors of biology that you can go into, um, but a lot of people aren't, you know, over collaborate or collaborating together so that, you know, you attack a problem from different, uh, like one problem from different angles. You know what I'm saying? Like there's collaborations, but there aren't like, you know, huge meetings and groups of people that are trying to like you know what i'm saying it's kind of weird but i think that human genomics and uh the the products that people are given right now is just a sample of the different gene therapy the gene editing that's gonna occur like fucking china man did you see that china literally made well, a baby from gene no. editing. They edited a baby's genome, put it into a carrier, and they let they just let go. You know what I'm saying? And it was, and it born. was born. They are alive. I think they're twins. See that's that that's frightening. And that's why I, I try to stay in these spaces to study and learn what's going on because I want to explore this space in order to help people live healthier, productive lives. 
but I don't want to explore. I don't want to start creating, in a sense, super babies or superhumans, right? Because that's very, I think it's very vain. It's it's a, it's an aspect yeah. of vanity when you start giving people the ability to say, well, I want my baby to look this particular way, be this particular height, so it can increase his chances of getting into the major league baseball. Major league yeah, baseball. Yeah. So, you know, something of that nature. Yeah, right? to get a leg up. Like, I don't want to be a fascist. I don't want to sound like... I don't want to sound like a fascist, but like, why? Why not? Why is that taboo? Let me just ask you that. Why is, why that, is taboo? that taboo? Yeah. Because I think there are certain things at play that we shouldn't try to manipulate as be specific human beings. So, regardless of what what you subscribe to. I believe that there is a higher being, and I call that higher being God. And whatever some other people call it the higher being, you know, if you believe in that or not, I think that, like you said before, like the universe being very stochastic, I believe that it's very stochastic for a reason. And isn't there some principle in thermodynamics that talks about um, um the theory of, like, not theory, entropy? Yeah, entropic. Entropy. Yeah. Entropic. Uh... Yeah, that's um. Remind me what that essentially is. what it is is quoted, the amount of randomness in a system. So you know, and at mm-hmm. the macro molecular level, um, for example, a protein's different. The amount of different uh, conformations a protein can have. You know, it's mm-hmm. if it's you know, if it's like heated up in a system, it's going to be highly stochastic and. You have a, a lot of different conformational space there, but if it's cold, uh, if the protein is cold, you know you're not going to have as much entropy. So when we start talking about stochastic systems, I feel like when we do this, we take out the randomness of what nature or what you know the universe has ascribed to something. And this is just my personal point of view. I think that something shouldn't be manipulated. So. Or at least not the genesis, not the genesis of something, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, that's fair to say, but you know, if you wanted your son to go to the league, you know, and you could start early, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you'd be in the backyard with your son, you know, drills every day, you know what I'm saying? I had a program on my computer yeah. <laughs> right now. Nah, let me stop. You, you would, but let's be real though, like, it, you, if sense. you wanted a competitive advantage for your son or daughter, you would use this CRISPR-Cas9 system. That's that's what it's called. They basically edited the genome with CRISPR-Cas9. Um, but yeah, like mm-hmm. you would you would you would want to do that because it it gives you a selective advantage. That's what GMOs do. They give other plants a selective advantage over others. You know, it's natural. It's not well. It's not natural. I agree. I think the average. I think the average person would, but. This year, like I mentioned earlier, I've been reading a lot of philosophy, and I realized that a lot of the things that I do are in vain. And ah, this is—I don't want to go too deep into philosophy, but you know, there will probably be some desire for me to want to do that. But then I will have to step back and think: what are my ulterior motives? But I, I definitely agree with that. Like, if if I desired a son, or if I was like, let's say, a, an ex basketball college star but I didn't have my chance at the league <laughs> and I get backlash for that every single 
<laughs> I get backlash for that like every single day. I'm like, man, you know, if you have a son, he might be just as good or you're even better. He, he might be able to make it to the league. And I'm hearing that every single day. I'm like, well, shit, I might as well go transfusion. Put a little something, right? Put a little something in his suit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Without him, I hope he, you would let him know, like, hey, this is gonna make you stronger. Not just Molly, your son. Right. <laughs> Put something yeah. in his baby formula. Next thing you know, Jesus. he wakes up six two, eight months old. I think. I mean, I feel like there's some people out there who you know be doing, who are already on that wave. You know who you are. You know what I'm saying? I think. I think. Like I said earlier, we're going to get to the point where these type of methods and applications are at our fingertips and people are going to utilize mm-hmm. them, you know, just how they utilize drugs, just how they utilize um, reading or whatever. They just open the fridge. There's the formula. Put it in the milk. Give it to the baby. Not that easy, I hope. Right. But, so you know. what I, yeah, I like to think of, um, like it's, it's similar to what what um, Martin Luther King said. Like time is either, t- excuse me, time is neutral. It can either be used constructively or destructively. And if you replace that with the current technology that we're looking at today, you can say, you know, insert technology here. It is neutral. It can either be used constructively or destructively. And there's always going to be people out there who are looking to use something destructively, and they're going to be people who are looking to use it constructively. So I think ultimately, if we continue to advance, these are things that we, we yeah, just can't avoid. Yeah, can't avoid it. It's, it's I kind of like think of it like makeup, you know. A lot of guys will, will complain about like, oh, she wears so much makeup, blah, 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 which is completely stupid, right? Um, but I know those same guys, I bet you, you know, would do the same thing if there was like an available thing for them to gain a selective advantage, you know what I'm saying? To get right. with that girl or to get with that guy or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I think that, <clears throat> like you were saying, um, the tools are going to be out there. But at the same time, it's going to be up to you to utilize that tool either constructively or destructively. Right. So uh, my last question here before we wrap up is, what are your current and future research interests you you spoke about them largely before but can you see yourself doing some of this integration of artificial intelligence and medicine do you have a specific like target disease or target um interaction within the body that you feel uh inclined to attack and uh that problem of This is a very, 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 very interesting question. Is it? Is it? And no, really. It is. In regards in regards to when you asked me what are my interests, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and thus far I've become interested in several things. Like I, I, I want to teach myself machine learning and artificial intelligence. I want to teach myself, you know, Internet of Things and building embedded systems. I want to teach myself cloud computing and having these services on your cloud system. I want to teach myself a lot of things about biology so I can start exploring things within this space in regards to some of the things you do, like biochemistry as it applies to medicine and nutrition, right? Or the neuroscience 
for the relation of neuroscience and AI. So I'm still trying to narrow down my interest, but that's why I'm here in this PhD program. Like, so once I do solidify who my advisor is, I'm still in the dating process. They can pretty much take all of the things that I tell them that I'm interested in and say, okay, Darian, this is what you need to focus on. And then once you get to this particular point of your career, then you can start incorporating some of the other stuff. But I think right now, what my primary focus should be is uh, learning the mathematics of machine mm-hmm. learning. Because I think that if I can pick up on, you know, the mathematics of machine learning and the, the theory behind artificial intelligence, whenever I'm ready to transition to another discipline or apply that to another discipline, it's a matter of learning that other discipline. I hope that answers yeah, the question. Yeah, that definitely really. answers I the question. It's, I, I was going to say this. Okay. Um, because you, you said a point that I think a lot of students take for granted uh, where I'm at. Uh, but it's all, this process should be fun. You should enjoy this process of mm-hmm. learning. You should be in a position within your research where it's like, hey, I just want to go on PubMed, look at various different articles. Like, you should love to do that, right? You know, if you don't right. love to do that with the specific research project you're doing, then that might not be the area of research you should get into. I, I'm not advising you to, you know, just quit on a PhD if you don't find that interest, you know. But at the same time, 99, I bet you, um, just being a first year, this is my, my hypothesis, 99% of the people who end up leaving graduate school unrelated to health, unrelated to like, um, like certain anomalies, um, they choose to leave these institutions primarily because the research, you know, or something closely linked to the research, like the mentorship, they weren't getting their proper mentorship aspects. Like, no, you have choices. You have, you, you have deliberate, you can make deliberate changes in your life so that you can go set forth and do what you want to do and research what you want to research, you know, like, so like you mentioned, you're going through this dating phase of interviewing sort of like different principal investigators to see if Mm -hmm. you guys want to end up being married for five or six years, you know what I'm saying? To the research and invested with each other in the research. So I think it's super important for you to know what you're getting into with that person. You need mm-hmm. to know that person's past. You need to know where direction they're going to be taking their lab in. For example, if they're going to move to Taiwan next year, like you need to know that up front. You know what I'm saying? Like you, <laughs> you, you have to yeah. also study where your mentor came from. What, how did, what was his lineage? How did he get to the position he is at? Cause that's the point of a mentor is, you get this mentor because you want to get to the point that they're ultimately at, you know what I'm saying? It's a model, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. So I think it's, but you go mentioned ahead. something. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. You mentioned something that, that stood out to me because all throughout undergrad, I was, I was pretty sure that I wanted to do machine learning for machine learning sake. And I get here in my first year, my PhD program, like you say, you have to read these papers and have a joy in reading them. And I was taking this advanced systems course and I was reading more systems papers than I was machine learning papers. And when I started reading my machine learning papers, I was just like, this doesn't quite intrigue me, but I'm more so interested in how we can apply this to other Mm -hmm. disciplines. 
So like what you said resonates a lot with me. And that's when I realized that I'm not the type of person to do research in machine learning for machine learning's sake. I, I, I would love, I love to understand the, the theory and how it works, but I want to take that and apply it to another discipline. Bet. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's what's up. Me. Well, we've reached our time, people. This was a great podcast. I had fun. I think Darian had fun. This is the graduate get. Man, you already know all for all my fun. No, we can right. redo it. Yeah, yeah, I, had, we, I had a good time. <laughs> all right, we're just gonna we're just gonna end it right here, folks. Thank you for listening. This is the graduate gang podcast that has no chill, unabated, uninterrupted. Thank you for listening. Oh, I wish I would have known that from the beginning. Let's get it. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Oh, yes, I made it alive. It's your drive. Get it to paradise. In this moment of mine, I can't recognize. See that the glare is bright. And when you compromise, I almost died. I doubt the water is red as mine. How you lonely in a room with God? Never slow up, not even a pit stop. Praying my niggas will never get caught. Overcame it all like I'm some big shot. Was taught to be a man out to the wristwatch. To the college shirt tucked with the front part. Get out of adolescence when it go dark. Some when your stars align, I hope it's no calm. It's so far, it's... Oh yes, I made it.